Hey, welcome to the Crosspoint Church Podcast. I'm Rob Chartrand, the lead pastor of the church. We're a church that's for the city in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, and are passionate about helping people find their way back to God. Hey, if you're new, I'll have a bit to say at the end of the podcast, but in the meantime, let's listen to this Sunday's message. Well, hey, good morning, everyone. And good morning to those of you who are joining us online, and uh, for those of you who are here for the first time, we're so glad you're here with us this morning. Uh, We are continuing a teaching series that uh, we started a number of weeks back, and the teaching series is called Follow Me, and uh, we are looking at the five marks of a disciple. This is something that we are hoping to do every single fall, and uh, what are the five marks? They, They are the biblical indicators that capture what it means to be a disciple, And so far, we have looked at growth, we have looked at uh, service, and we've looked at mission. And I also want to remind you that if you came in this morning, you will have received a spiritual uh, life inventory, a disciple's life inventory. And for those of you who are joining us online, uh, you can go to the website as well, uh, thecrosspointchurch.ca, and click open the message notes, and you'll be able to find the uh, inventory there as well. Uh, I hope that you are using these inventories because, because what they do is they give you an opportunity to reflect on your own spiritual journey and, and where you are at and, and where Christ Jesus wants you to be at in terms of your relationship with him and who you are becoming. And so the goal of this thing is not to heap guilt or anything like that, but the goal of the spiritual, uh, this life indicator is that it's something that could be a tool for you, something that you could use to reflect on your own journey uh, and something that might be able to help you recalibrate uh, where you ultimately want to be. So I hope you'll look at it maybe in your quiet time uh, sometime this week or maybe even later on today that you'll take that and you'll uh, use that as, a, as an opportunity to reflect more deeply. Uh, hey, today we are going to be looking at the fourth mark of a disciple, which is pursuit. And we're going to throw a definition up on the screen right now. Uh, here's what it, we mean by a disciple with pursuit. A disciple with pursuit seeks to know Christ personally, above all things, through spiritual practices and public worship, with the body of Christ. A couple of observations about this definition. Number one, Jesus is knowable. So Jesus is not just an idea. Jesus is not just a person who's kind of out in the middle of space somewhere, uh, the kindly old grandfather that maybe we might get to know someday, okay? But Jesus is knowable now. But the second observation is that it assumes that there are actually ways to know Jesus, That there are habits and rhythms and and things that we can do in our lives that will help us connect with Jesus, both personally as well as publicly. So just a couple of observations about that. But but today, as we talk about pursuit, we're going to get right into the text for the sake of time. Uh, And we're going to look at a large portion of teaching from Jesus that's in John chapter 15. So if you've got a Bible, uh, paper one or digital or otherwise, I don't know what the otherwise would be, holographic, uh, but whatever your other Bible is, turn to John chapter 15. You can follow along there. Uh, We're also going to have it up on the screen. And we are going to discover more together about what it means to pursue Jesus. So, the words of Jesus in John chapter 15, I'll start reading at verse 1, you can follow along. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. And every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. And already, you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you, unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. 
Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And if anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and, and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. But if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. And if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I've kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. And this is the word of God. Can we pray together? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this life-giving word this morning. And I pray it would be that. I, I pray it would be life-giving to me. I pray it would be life-giving to my friends and family here and those who are at home uh, joining us online. Lord, thank you that your word is life, and, and, and we pray that your Holy Spirit would now just, just teach us and, and prod us and um, cause us to become who you want us to be as we surrender ourselves to you and to your word. And we give you thanks that you're faithful and you'll do it. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, so the question that I, I have before us is, what is this, this metaphor, this, this image of the vine that Jesus presents to us, what does it teach us about pursuing Christ? Well, I want to walk through the text, and we are going to find four discoveries. We're going to encounter four discoveries about pursuit, our pursuit of Jesus. So let's go through them together really quickly. Here's the first discovery. Receive the source. Receive the source. Uh, you'll notice that Jesus begins describing himself in a very unique way. He calls himself the true vine. Not just a vine, but the true vine. What was it that Jesus meant when he said this? Well, you've got to remember, this Jesus is, is preaching in first century uh, Israel, right? And so his Jewish disciples would have been kind of familiar with this imagery in a way that we might not have been. See, in the Old Testament, oftentimes God referred to himself as the vine dresser, as the, the gardener. However, whenever he talked about the vine, he actually referred to the nation of Israel. He didn't refer to Jesus, he referred to the nation of Israel. And, and he talked about Israel as a, in, in like a very personal way. Israel was this vine that, that God had carefully planted, that God had, had nurtured, that he cared for, and he wanted to see it grow. But sadly, in every single instance in the Old Testament, when God talks about Israel as the vine, he's lamenting. And he's lamenting over the fact that Israel is just not producing fruit. In other words, Israel, for some reason, for God, and, you know, even though God has done all of these loving things in, in all of his efforts, Israel, for some reason, has stopped being faithful to him. Israel has, has basically turned their backs on him, and, and they've abandoned the covenant. So, so when Jesus stands up in this moment among all of his disciples in the upper room and he says to them, I am the true vine, what he means is, I am the true and faithful Israel. That even though Israel had failed uh, to keep their end of the covenant, God had a different plan and God had sent his son into the world to succeed where Israel had failed. Because Jesus, as you know, if you know the story, Jesus was completely faithful to the covenant. And Jesus ultimately would take Israel's place on the cross. Jesus upheld the law. Jesus followed it perfectly. And, and the reason he did this was so that he could die as the perfect sacrifice for all of the world. 
And Jesus did die, and he rose again to new life. And in doing all of that, Jesus became the one source of life for the entire world. That's what Jesus means when he says, I am the one true vine. He is the source of God's eternal, abundant, spiritual life for everyone, for, for me as well as for you. Now, I'm not sure how, how familiar you are with how vines work. Um, you know, not everybody's a gardener. I did a bit of a survey a few weeks ago and it says, hey, who's got a garden? Not everybody put their hands up. So uh, I thought I would just get, use an object lesson this morning. Uh, I brought a vine, okay? Um, this is actually from my garden. This is a vine. Uh, anyone know what kind of vine this is? Yeah? Uh, it's a Virginia creeper, I think. But I might be wrong. Maybe you know. Are they the same thing? Okay. Yes. Yes, that's it. That's the answer. <laughs> of course. <laughs> All right. Uh, so I, I planted this guy in my yard a few years ago. Not this guy, but I'll show you a picture of, of this, this one I put in. Uh, it's actually a rather robust plant. That's not the sunflower next. That's the sunflower next to it. It's, it's a monster. Uh, I only planted one. Uh, anyway, uh, so that's it right there. That bad boy. When I planted it, he was like this tall. And then in two years... I don't know. He's, it's just like rapid onset of Virginia creeper. Um, he, he's kind of done a hostile takeover of my, my yard. Let's look at another picture. He's actually climbed up onto my deck, and it hasn't stopped going. Um, and then another picture here. Um, it's, it's actually covered up my Saskatchewan Rough Riders sign, which, which means that this vine has very good taste, right? Sorry uh, for any of you Edmonton Elks fans who are currently in last place in our division. Um, I think they should have called them the Edmonton Ewoks myself. But anyway, okay. So, uh, yes, Saskatchewan Rough Riders. Um, so, this long part here is actually not a vine, technically. This is actually a branch. Uh, in, in, in my garden, the vine is like running up the middle. And it's this big, huge, really tough thing, almost like the trunk of a tree. And coming out from the vine, there are all these different branches. And, of course... On a branch, you'll find leaves, and on some branches, you will actually find fruit hanging off of it. Um, I do have a few branches in my yard that have fruit, but for the most part, most of them don't, okay? So my vine's not doing a very stellar job of, of producing fruit. But I have cut this branch off of the vine. And so what this means is that this branch will die, and it's already actually kind of starting to show signs of death. I know I'm a monster, but I had to do it in, in order for this uh, illustration to work. And, and so the point that Jesus is, is basically saying is, is that this vine, I'm just going to, okay, this vine does not, I'm not going to put it back in the box, that would take way too long, I spill my coffee. Uh, this vine does not have capacity to live within itself. This vine will die because it is disconnected, this, this branch, sorry, will, will die because it is disconnected from the vine. Um, and, and, and the point Jesus is essentially making in this entire illustration is, is that there is just one source of life. There's one source of life. Um, and that source is Jesus himself, the true vine. So the, the fruit isn't the source. The leaves aren't the source. The branch isn't the source. There is only one source. And if you cut yourself off from the source of all life, eventually you will wither and you will die. And, and the problem is, as human beings, is that we try to find sources of life in other things. So we try to look to sources in other branches, or we try to look for sources within ourselves to try and find life, which is ridiculous when you think about it, because if we do not have the divine life within ourselves, by ourselves, and we cut ourselves off from God, that, that's like taking a power bar, you know, a power bar, electrical power bar with all the plugs in it, and a little cable, and plugging it back into itself. 
and hoping to find power. Right? It's ridiculous, really, when you think about it. Instead, you should plug it out and plug it into the wall, and then suddenly you have en uh, energy and electricity. And, and the problem is, is, is that we misunderstand sometimes is that we are actually conduits, not containers, of God's power. That God's power is meant to come into us, his life, and flow through us to other things. So, so in order to receive that, we need to stay connected to the vine. I know it's really, really simple. We, we got it. But it has to be stated because that's the foundation on which we look at the other points. Here's the second, here's the second one. Oh, there we go. The second discovery is this, is that we need to know the outcome. So in order to understand what it means to pursue Jesus, it's important that we understand that the outcome of our life in Jesus is ultimately to bear fruit. That's, that's what our Heavenly Father actually wants for us. So as the vine dresser, as the garden, our Father is actively working in our lives, sometimes in obvious ways, sometimes in ways we do not understand, but he's actively working in our lives to get us to produce more fruit. See, everyone who's a gardener understands that the mark of a good gardener, a mark of a good garden is ultimately how much fruit it produces. The, the mark of a good garden is ultimately how big is your yield. So you can have the tallest plants, you can have the largest leaves, but if your garden doesn't produce fruit, your garden has missed the mark. This vine, I think I could probably get the number of berries off of it in two handfuls. It's doing not a very stellar job at producing fruit. And so in the same way, our Heavenly Father wants us, our lives, to produce fruit. So that begs the question, what is the fruit that our Heavenly Father wants us to produce? Well, essentially, it is a life that is full of Jesus. It is a life that looks like Jesus, a life that loves like Jesus, a, a life that lives like Jesus. And if Jesus is our source, if we are tapped into Jesus, then it only makes sense that our lives will ultimately be full of him. Let's take a look at what Jesus says in verse 8. He says this, but this, uh, this, by this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. See, the fruit of our lives ultimately demonstrates that we belong to Jesus. You notice that Jesus doesn't say, prove to be a disciple. Jesus says that you will prove to be my disciples. See, in a master-discipleship relationship, the disciple always seeks to become like his master. So a disciple of Jesus ultimately looks, lives, and loves like Jesus. You see, Jesus wants to see his character formed in each and every one of us. He wants us to take on his virtues, his, his values. Paul talks about this in Galatians chapter 5, in verse 22. He says this, he says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And against such things there is no law. So what's interesting is that, again, this fruit is not something that we can produce within ourselves. That's why these are called the fruits of the Spirit. The fruit is produced through the activity of the Holy Spirit at work in our lives. So it's the Holy Spirit who's working on us. He, he convicts us. He, he empowers us. He comforts us. He guides us. And all of this, he does this so that we become more and more like Jesus, having the fruit of the Spirit. So I think the question that, that we come against when we read this passage of Scripture, at least I do, is what's hanging on your vine lately? Is it the fruit of spirit, the Spirit or is it something else? So, so let's just walk through each of these fruits of the Spirit. And let, let's kind of think about this a little bit more deeply. Do you find yourself more loving lately? 
more joyful? Could, would you say that you, you have this sense of peace about you? Whenever you're online, do your posts reflect kindness and goodness? Are you faithful in your relationships with other people? Are you faithful in your commitments that you have made? Would your friends and family say that you are gentle? How has your patience been lately? What about your patience with people who don't think like you do? How's your patience? Is there evidence of self-control in your life? What about in your thought life? Is there self-control there? Now, if you can say, you know, when you're looking at your branch, if you can say, yeah, I'm, I'm starting to see some fruit there, then give God the glory and thank him for that because the Holy Spirit is at operation in your life. Now, nobody's going to get up batting 100 here. Nobody's going to have a perfect score in terms of the fruit of the Spirit. I may be at 500 when I think about myself deeply. But I'll also say this. If you are concerned about a lack of the fruit of the Spirit in your life, then perhaps you need to go back to the source. Perhaps you need to fully surrender yourself to Jesus and say, Jesus, I need you at work in my life in a desperate way. Would you come in and would you fill me and would you change me from the inside out? Perhaps. Well, here's the third discovery. The third discovery is this, is, is embrace the process. Embrace the process. You see, to produce fruit in us Jesus says that the Father needs to actually take action. And the way that the Father takes action is primarily through something called pruning. Now, gardeners and vine dressers, they will all agree, if you're going to get a plant to produce more fruit, the best way to do that is to prune. Pruning is a necessary part of the process of producing more fruit. I mean, I had these tomato plants in my garden this summer. I just planted them. I didn't prune them. Okay, and these things were monsters. Like, they were all over the place. They didn't stop growing. They kept going and going. I'm putting in stakes and all these sorts of things. But I had absolutely no fruit. Like, next to none. And the reason why is because I didn't ultimately prune the plants. See, here's the thing is every part of a plant takes energy from the plant, right? And sometimes a plant will produce a lot of leaves. They'll produce a lot of branches. And these branches, these leaves are essentially taking up space and they're drawing energy from the plant. And that's energy that could be redirected towards making fruit on the plant. So if you cut off these branches or these leaves or whatnot, what that does is it causes the energy of the plant to be redirected to producing more fruit or to producing better fruit. And Jesus says that the Father prunes us so that we can produce more fruit. Do you know this morning that, that God wants you to flourish? Do you know that, that God, God doesn't want us to, to just be content, uh, to just coast? Uh, God doesn't want us to simply lean on, back on past experiences we may have had with him. But God ultimately wants us to flourish. He wants us to produce more fruit uh, and better fruit. And so to get there... Jesus says the Father prunes us so that we can produce more fruit. So to do that, God is on a mission to do things in your life that are ultimately going to take you back to the source. And some of you may have been experiencing some of these things lately. So, so God might bring about difficulties or disappointments that are going to cause you to lean into him. Or God might create new challenges for you, new hills to climb that you can't accomplish without his help. 
And you might even encounter opposition or persecution, which he designed to get your attention. Uh, you might be withholding blessings or opportunities in your life so that you're forced to wait on him. He might even take away your false sources of life, these things that you've been tapped into that aren't giving you the life you want, and he's doing that and replace, so that you will replace them with him. So, friends, our Heavenly Father will do absolutely anything to shake us out of our slumber or to push us out of our comfort zones, and he prunes us in this way so that we might bear more fruit. So here's the thing. If you are a follower of Jesus, you are a disciple, expect to be pruned. Pruning is inevitable. We should not be surprised by it. But keep in mind that the Father prunes us not to ruin our lives, but to advance our lives. That our Father loves us. He wants ultimately what's best for us. And to shape us into the kind of person he wants us to be, he's going to prune us. So you can respond to pruning in one of two ways. You can run from the source, who is Jesus, or you can run to the source. You can get bitter or that you can get better. And the only way to get better is to ultimately lean into Jesus, to embrace the process. Now, back in the 80s, um, researchers created this incredible environment that was called Biosphere 2. Um, it was essentially this huge three-acre self-sustaining biodome constructed of metal and glass. And, and it essentially became this controlled environment of air, of water, of soil, and light. So nothing went into the biodome, nothing stayed out. There's actually a woman who tells her story, a TED Talk, and she went in there and lived there for two years. So it was this self-sustaining environment. And everything in this environment actually seemed to work perfectly well with one major exception. They discovered that when trees in this environment grew to a certain height, they would suddenly just topple over, and nobody knew why. They'd get up to a certain height, they'd start to lean, and then boom, they'd fall to the ground. And this puzzled scientists for quite a while until they realized that they forgot in to include one important element in the biodome. They forgot to include wind. See, what they, they didn't understand at the time was that wind actually causes a tree to grow deeper roots. That as the stress of the wind comes onto the tree, the tree reacts and it digs deeper and deeper and deeper into the soil. So as the tree gets taller, ultimately the tree gets stronger and it's not going to fall over. I think as disciples, sometimes we want a perfect growing environment for our spiritual walks. Oh, an environment without pain, without hardship, without interruptions, without wind. But God would say to us that he would have none of that. That God is actually willing to push against us with the windy challenges of life so that we will deepen our spiritual roots and as we grow deeper, we will stand taller. As followers of Jesus, we can expect to be pruned and therefore we need to embrace the process as it comes to us. Now, we can't skip over something else that Jesus said that's also part of the Father's process. You'll notice that Jesus also said that the vine dresser not only prunes fruitful branches, but he also removes dead branches. And I think this is a warning that we need to pay heed to, something that we need to be paying attention to. Notice what he says in verse 2. He says, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And then he says in verse 6, If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. 
the thing about dead branches, if you go to a tree and you see a dead branch there, if you go to a vine, you see a dead branch. Um, the reason why they're dead is because they're completely disconnected from the life-giving sap of the tree, from the energy of the tree. And because of this, because they are dead branches, they will not produce fruit. It's never going to happen. You can't resurrect them. They're not coming back again. And dead branches are really a problem for a tree because dead branches become places where bugs will infest or the places where disease can come in, into the plant and spread. So the gardener's only solution, essentially, with dead branches is to take them off the tree, throw them aside, and, and to burn them. So what is Jesus saying here? Well, let's be clear on what Jesus is not saying. Jesus is not saying that fruit-bearing is a test. In other words, he's not saying, you know, if you don't practice, uh, produce so much fruit, then ultimately he's going to cut you off and he's going to throw you into the fire. As if to say that you can somehow earn your way into the Father's favor. But Jesus is saying that fruit-bearing is a byproduct. In other words, it is a byproduct of being tapped into Jesus as your source of life. And the evidence of that, that you are tapped into Jesus as a source of your life, is fruit on your branch. And so what this is saying is that if your life has no fruit whatsoever, you need to be concerned that, that this is a process that you do not want to embrace, right? You want to embrace pruning, but you don't want to embrace cutting. And the only solution then is to turn your life over to Jesus, to surrender your life to him as the source of all life, that you might produce more fruit. So expect to be pruned. Embrace the process, kind of, pruning, not cutting. Here's the fourth and final discovery. Abide in Jesus. Abide in Jesus. Now, that's not a word we use a lot, right? The word abide. So what does it mean? What, what, is, what is Jesus talking about here? Well, the word in the Greek for abide is the Greek word meno. And um, it essentially means this. It means to remain, to dwell, to linger long, to be at home. And, and this is John's way of essentially saying that disciples need to live their lives in close communion with Christ. You know, it's interesting. John actually uses the word meno a lot. The word actually appears in the Greek New Testament 118 times. Over half of those times will be found in John's writings. And in this passage of Scripture, John uses the term six times, okay? So all that to say is that like, this is a very, very important concept in John's writings. Now, the idea of abiding in Jesus is actually a bit of a theological mind-bender uh, to consider. And so, humor me. I know we're in the latter third of this message, and attention spans are waning. But humor me for a minute for this theological mind-bender. Here's the question. How do we abide in Jesus if Jesus is seated in heaven at the right hand of the Father? And he's like in a physical, resurrected, bodily state. So how do we do that? How do we abide in Jesus? You ever thought about that? I have, but I think about a lot of things that keep me up at night. And the answer to the question is really simple. It is possible through the work of the Holy Spirit inside of us. See, Jesus had just finished teaching about the Holy Spirit in John chapter 14, and we are now in John chapter 15. But you have to understand that John chapter 14 and chapter 15 are actually interconnected. It's actually part of one big message that Jesus was teaching to his disciples, something that was called the Upper Room Discourse. It starts in John chapter 13, goes all the way to John chapter 17. So 
Jesus' teaching about the Holy Spirit in 14 is right connected to what he's talking about in 15. So I just want to rewind the tape for a minute, and let's look at what Jesus had to say about the Holy Spirit in John chapter 14. Here's what he said. He says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. So Jesus is, is getting his disciples ready because he knows he's going to die. He knows he's going to go to be with the Father. So he's, he's setting them up and getting them ready for what comes next. But he says to them, you know, I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm not going to leave you to just fend for yourself. You know, hope you die. I hope you survive and not die. And so he promised to send his Holy Spirit. And he says, I was going to send you my Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is going to dwell with you. Did you notice that word? Dwell. It's that same Greek word. Meno. Abide. So the Holy Spirit, he says, I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit, and he is going to abide in you. But then notice what Jesus said just a few verses later in verse 20. This is where the theological mind bender goes. Start the blender. Uh, he says this, in that day, so this is when he says, when, you know, when I send the Holy Spirit, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. It's like, wait, wait a minute. Who's abiding in us? Is it Jesus or is it the Holy Spirit? And the theological answer to this mind bender is yes. That's the answer to the question. Because Jesus promised that uh, he would send his Holy Spirit to abide in us, but the Holy Spirit, uh, but the Father and the Son live in us through his Holy Spirit. So technically, yes, the Holy Spirit abides in us, but this is how the Father and the Son live in us through the Spirit. Keep in mind, here's, here's the thing about the Trinity, okay? The Trinity, big hard concept to understand, at least for me. But in the Trinity, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, they are living together in perfect community throughout all of history eternally. And they share the same will, the same life, the same essence. They're like interconnected. They're involved in this infinite, eternal, beautiful, perfect dance together. They're all connected. And somehow this, this majestic and this mysterious Trinitarian God has chosen to take up residence in each and every one of us. He has decided that he is going to abide in his disciples, in his believers. Like, mind-blowing when you think about it, that this infinite God wants to abide in each and every one of us. He menos us. He abides in us. And now he says to us, come abide in me. Remain. Linger long. Make up your home inside of me. Abide. So this is how we grow as disciples. And ultimately, this is how we produce fruit. Notice what Jesus says in verse 5. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. You know, Jesus said earlier, pruning produces more fruit. But abiding, abiding produces much fruit. So how do we abide in Jesus? Well, Jesus actually gives us two ways to do that. He says we can abide in his word. And we can abide in his love. See, God has revealed himself to the world through his word. And if you want to discover who Jesus is, if you want to discover God's will for your life, 
You have to abide in his word. And there's lots of ways that we could do that. Ways to abide in the word of Jesus. We, we can read the word of Christ. We can meditate on it. You know, so we're like internalizing it. We're chewing it. We're enjoying it. Um, but abiding in his word isn't just a solo sport. It's actually something we do together collectively as the people of God. This is why we think it's so important that we gather together on a Sunday morning. Because when we gather together, we can hear his word being read. We can listen to his word being proclaimed. We can also sing about his word together in community. But the point that Jesus is making is that we have to saturate our hearts and minds with his word to the degree that it ultimately just becomes part of who we are. And you'll notice that Jesus says, connects effective prayer with abiding in his word. If you want to know how to pray more effectively, Jesus would say, get into his word, abide in his word. This is what he meant in verse 7. He says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Now, there's lots of people who have misunderstood this and totally taken it out of context and, you know, messed up its meaning. It doesn't mean that if I just read two chapters of the Bible a day, then I could go to Jesus in prayer and ask for whatever, whatever I want, a new car and a pet tiger, and presto, the next day, that's what I'm going to get. A new tiger would be awesome. Okay. What it does mean is that when you begin to abide in Christ's word, it will change your wishes to become like his wishes. In other words, it will bring your will into alignment with God's will so that you are essentially learning to pray God's will. And here's the thing. God is far more likely to answer prayers that are in alignment with his will than prayers that are out of alignment with his will. So we can basically swipe that pet tiger off of our wish list. Now, now tragically, God's word has, has very little influence in the lives of disciples today. Um, I mean, all the research would demonstrate this, um, how biblical illiteracy is, is just off the charts in North America. So instead of God's word being of great influence in the lives of disciples, we are being discipled by the echo chambers of our social media feeds, or by the entertainment world, or, or by news media outlets. And we, we might spend hours each day just kind of tapped into these sophisticated systems that are actually designed to make us keep watching, to make us keep scrolling until we go deeper and deeper down rabbit holes. This seems to be the dilemma that we face in the modern world. What is it that we are being discipled by? What, what truths are we abiding in? Uh, how many of you have heard of the uh, infinite scroll, the term the infinite scroll? Maybe, maybe not. Okay, some of you maybe. Okay. Uh, this was a technological innovation that was designed by a man named, a man named Aza Raskin. And, you know, if you, if you have your phone or your device, it's, it's that, that ability to endlessly swipe through content without clicking or without waiting for something to reload. It just keeps going and going. That's why it's called the infinite scroll. So you can open up Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and just keep going ad infinitum to quote Buzz Lightyear to infinity and beyond. Okay, it's the infinity scroll, infinite scroll. Well, the inventor, Aza Raskin, says that he now deeply regrets creating the infinite scroll because of what it has done to society. He says it has caused people to waste inordinate amounts of time trapped in their devices, just scrolling and just scrolling. And he says the reason why it is so effective, you know, the, 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 the psychologists would look at this, the reason why it's so effective is it doesn't allow your brain to catch up with your impulses to scroll. So, so, so essentially, what, what, when you use it, your unconscious lizard brain just kind of takes over, and you go into autopilot. 
And, and also, when you produce it, you, you produce this chemical called dopamine, which trigger, triggers your like, reward response in your brain. So it's like a candy machine. Every time you swipe, you just enjoy it, enjoy it, and you keep going, and you keep going, and you keep going. Until eventually, I don't know about you, but you get sucked into this vortex of swiping, right? And then you wake up from it, and you're like, whoa, what time is it? And you realize you've been doing this thing for like 30 minutes straight, and you didn't even know what happened to yourself. Anybody ever experienced that before in your devices? Yeah, okay, yeah. How many of you have ever said, you know, or could testify today that the infinite scroll has changed your life? <laughs> okay. How about in a positive way? Has it made you more thankful? Has it made you feel more alive when you're done? Has it made you more like Jesus, the infinite scroll? I want you to consider something this morning. What if you stopped abiding in the infinite scroll? And started abiding in God's word. Who might you become? What great gift might you become to the rest of humanity? If you just simply stopped doing this one task. I know, I'm, I'm pushing buttons this morning when I say that. It's hard to have somebody pressing on your addiction, isn't it? Yeah. So we abide in Jesus by abiding in his word, but we also abide in Jesus, he says, by abiding in his love. Let's look at verse 9. It says, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. You know what this shows us primarily is that abiding in Jesus isn't strictly mechanical. Instead, it's, it's relational. It's, it's, it's personal. It's, it's, it's a love dynamic relationship that we can have with Jesus. How much does Jesus love you? Have you ever thought about that? Look at verse 9. Jesus says that he loves us just as much as the Father loves him. Well, that begs another question. How much does the Father love the Son? Well, the Father's love for his Son is infinite. It's, it's perfect. It's beyond measure. It's beyond understanding. I mean, Paul would actually say in Ephesians chapter 5 that God's love surpasses knowledge. It is so high and wide and deep and long that we actually need God's help just to begin to get our brains around it. That's how big God's love is. And Jesus says that he loves us in the same way that the Father loves the Son. And then Jesus invites us, each and every one of us, he invites you to come and abide in this love. Well, what, that, what might that look like? Well, you know, the author J.D. Greer says, says it, it kind of looks like reminding ourselves again and again about God's love for us. That there's nothing you can do to make God love you more. There's nothing that you have ever done to make God love you less. That God loves you perfectly all the time now. Now, you might be here this morning, you might say, well, okay, well, but what if I give away all that I have, all my money to the poor? Would God love me maybe just a little bit more? The answer is no. But what if I go overseas and I give up my life and I preach the gospel to people who have never heard about Jesus before? Would God love me more then? No. Again. What if I'm really kind to my spouse for like a week, okay? And uh, I treat him or her with respect. I'm sorry, the answer is still no. I mean, even if you take out the garbage, okay? 
She might love you more, but God's not going to. What if I went a full week without a single, simple, lustful thought? That would be a really good thing. But the answer still is nada, nope, negatory. Because God still loves you perfectly, period. Jesus could never love you more than he loves you right now. Because he loves you perfectly, just as the Father loves him perfectly. And so Jesus is inviting you right now to abide in his love. Now you'll notice in the text that Jesus is like, when we learn to abide in his love, like when we tap into that, something really amazing actually happens. He actually begins to change us. He begins to transform us. Jesus said that a disciple who abides in his love will keep his commandments. So abiding in his love generates obedience. It's like this circle effect that happens. The more we love him, the more we want to obey him. The more we obey him, the more we show that we love him, we enter into his love. And there's this amazing thing that happens. So ultimately what it does is it produces fruit on your branch. Fruit. And so friends, Jesus is asking us today, will you abide in his love? Will you abide in his word Will you abide in Jesus? Now, just a final word about abiding in Jesus. Abiding in Jesus is active and not accidental. So to to, to actually abide in Jesus, you actually need to pursue him. You need to learn to do this deliberately, intentionally. Abiding is something that you plan to do. It's not something that you hope that happens. You know, the early disciples of Jesus knew this to be true. They practiced ways of abiding in Jesus. And so has his disciples throughout the centuries. They know this to be true. If you wait for abiding to just fall into your lap, it will never happen. Because the human heart is so distractible. And the human heart has such a tendency to drift. So disciples throughout the centuries have learned to pursue Christ through what we call the spiritual practices or the spiritual disciplines. Now, there are different types of spiritual practices, uh, but I'll just say that there are two kinds of spiritual practices generally. There are personal spiritual practices, and there are interpersonal spiritual practices. Interpersonal spiritual practices are those practices that you do with other disciples. Things like coming together in worship together, praying together, fellowship, hospitality. Because we understand and we know that spiritual practices, growing in Christ, abiding in Christ, isn't just a solo sport. It's something that has to be done in community. But not only are there interpersonal practices, there are personal spiritual practices. And the two most common of these, of course, are Bible reading and prayer. Read your Bible day after day and you'll grow, grow, grow. Right? We know that to be true. Um, If it's for the purpose of abiding in Jesus, I might add. But there are other personal spiritual practices. Things like fasting, rest, meditation, solitude. And those great spiritual practices Uh, followers of Jesus throughout the centuries have known that in order to learn to abide in Jesus, you have to create these rhythms in your life of spiritual practices. Now, you might be here this morning, you're like, I don't know how to start. I don't know where to start. Let me encourage you, go to our website, thecrosspointchurch.ca slash tools. And if you go there, you will see some tools that are available for you to begin to put into practice. Tools for reading scripture. Tools for digesting the word of God and getting it into your life. 
Um, if you want a place to start, I'd suggest you start with the Gospel of Mark. It's a great place to start. And just begin reading the Scripture a bit of a time every single day. If you want help with that, I am more than willing to sit down with you. I'm sure one of our staff members could do that, one of our elders as well, and just walk you through how to start the journey of spiritual practices. But through the spiritual practices, we direct our hearts towards the life-giving power of the vine. So friends, let me close this morning with just simply asking this question. Are you abiding in Christ today? And if you're not abiding in Christ, then what are you abiding in? Jesus invites you to come and to abide in him. I'm going to give you an opportunity. Like I said, we have busy lives. We're going to take two minutes for a pause here. And we're just going to talk to Jesus and an opportunity for us to hear from him. So we're going to give you two minutes to respond in prayer. Uh, Adria is just going to play. And then I'm going to close in prayer. So take a deep breath. Jesus is here through his Holy Spirit. And he's been speaking to you this morning. And the questions I would ask you to consider is, what is Jesus saying to you today? And, and, and what will you do about that with Jesus' help today? Take a couple minutes. Talk to the God of our universe who loves you perfectly. And I'll close in prayer. Our Father, we thank you that you are more concerned about the growth of our lives than we are sometimes. And Lord, we want to surrender ourselves to the process. We want to surrender ourselves to the source. Lord, would you help us to abide? And as we abide, would you change us to become more like you? God, would you shape and form us to be an abiding people? a church that encourages others to go to the source. And as we do that, Lord, would, would we just grow together to become a people who are like you, who live and love and look like you, that we might be on mission in the world, calling others to come and experience the life-giving power of the Son. To that end, we give thanks, and we trust you, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thanks for listening to our podcast. 
We hope it's helped you in your spiritual journey and it's helped you draw closer to God. Let me tell you a little bit about us. Crosspoint gathers as one church on Sundays in Northeast Edmonton. And you can find out our location and more about us by visiting our website, thecrosspointchurch.ca. We also meet throughout the week throughout Edmonton in what we call home groups. These are smaller communities of learning, laughter, community, uh, transformation. We, we think that the journey of faith was never intended to be an independent exercise. It's, it's something that we do together. So please visit our website and find out how you can get connected to a home group near you. If you listen to our podcast regularly, why not make it shareable? You could like us on iTunes or share our podcast with other people. But more importantly, we hope you will get connected with other people and talk about what you've learned. Again, hey, thanks for listening. We pray you'll experience Christ's love in a very real and profound way this week.